One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, home of the song story and exploration of the fascinating way music connects us to our lives and memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is actor, artist, and theater maker Juliana Morgan Alvarez. Juliana was born and raised in Miami, Florida. She fell in love with the performing arts at a young age while dancing with the Miami Ballet and acting in various theater productions. After graduating college, Juliana moved to Los Angeles and continued acting, performing with her improv group The Knife Kids and producing science documentaries. Juliana received an MFA in acting from California Institute of the Arts in 2020. Since graduating, she's traveled throughout the United States working on different projects, such as a feature film called The Veteran and the performance art and installation piece One Island, produced by Ghostbird Theater Company here in Fort Myers, which is how we met her. Juliana currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee with her partner and dog, Plato. Hey there, Juliana. How are you today? I am doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, glad that I made it to the studio. And um, yeah, doing good. Is it Juliana, not Juliana? It is Juliana. That is okay. correct. Yeah. Um, cool. I didn't want to presume. Um, so I didn't ask for a bio from you because I knew you had a website and I figured I could find out information there, but it's really sparse <laughs> with information, which I kind of appreciate, by the way. It's like a myst- mysterious kind of thing. But I'm just going with today, storyteller, sculptor of the body, collagist, and theater maker. So we'll just have to feel our way through based on those four things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds okay. good. <laughs> okay, good. So um, tell us real quick why you're in Fort Myers, and then later in the show we'll get further into detail with it. Uh, so right now I'm working with the Ghostbird Theater Company. Um, we've been, well, they've been working for the last two years on putting together a bunch of material that originated during the height of the pandemic. And in November of 2021, Brittany Brady, who's one of the founding members of Ghostbird, she and I went to grad school together at CalArts, and she called me, and we were just, you know, talking about what it is to be a theater maker in this COVID world, (laughs) and she asked me if I wanted to be involved in Ghostbird's latest um, production. Uh, which is called One Island, and we opened this past Wednesday on, I think that was June 8th. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, something like that. Um, and it's a it's a performance piece with an installation uh, aspect to it as well. How's it gone so far? It's been so beautiful. Um, it's been challenging. We've been really focusing on how to do original, collaborative, creative theater making in an equitable way. And so that means not trying to have the sort of typical hierarchy of voices that occurs um, traditionally within the theater world. So we don't have like a specific director or a lighting designer. We've all sort of been rotating who is wearing those hats and there's a lot of listening that has to occur, a lot of patience. So it's been it's been a, a new and challenging experience, but also just really incredible, super unique. And I think the work that we've been able to create in this manner has just been deep and beautiful in a way that I haven't quite experienced before. 
Very cool. Um, so where did you grow up, and how would you characterize the musical background of your childhood growing up? Um, uh, well, I grew up in South Miami, uh, so born and raised in the county of Dade. Um, <laughs> what area? <laughs> uh, in Pinecrest. Pinecrest. Oh, okay. I'm right there. Oh. Yeah. I, uh, Glenver Heights is where I'm from. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where I spent the first 18 years of my life and musically, um, my family didn't do like a ton of listening to music, like in the house. Um, but one side of my family is Cuban. So I grew up with a lot of like late night parties where, you know, a lot of, sort of like typical Cuban drums and trumpets and horns were playing and lots of dancing. Any Bee Gees? Uh, yeah, actually. Yep. My mom was <laughs> also so. super into the Bee Gees. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. usually how it goes, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I also, the other side of my family is uh, Eastern European Jews. So I went to a temple growing up. So uh, I guess part of my musical heritage also includes a lot of like Hebrew prayers that I don't know the translations of, but I could sing them for you. <laughs> you got one you can give us just a few lines of? Thank you very much. That was very well done. Um, so were you playing any instruments? Were you a musical kid? You know, um, or, and did you have brothers and sisters? Like, where did you fit into the lineup if you did? Uh, so I was the oldest, or I am the oldest of three daughters. Uh, and I, um, I've been a theater kid most of my life. Uh, so when I was growing up, in order to say you were going to be an actor meant that you had to be a triple threat. Uh, so I did take voice lessons and some like very basic piano lessons. But it just I was always more of like a dancer and an actor before a singer or musician. So I never like really stuck to any of that. Um yeah, and my sisters, I think one of them played guitar for a little bit, but not a super musical group. <laughs> As the oldest uh, sister, did you influence them musically? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I think for my middle sister, she was probably like turning eight or nine years old, and I bought her a Modest Mouse CD, which mm. was like n- mm-hmm. not maybe <laughs> the best content. <laughs> for a third grader um but I was listening to it and I was like you should listen to this too um and yeah we've definitely bonded over music over the years the youngest sister and I Sabrina were nine years apart so there's like a little bit of a cultural gap going on but she introduces me to things that I probably wouldn't hear of otherwise and vice versa what pops into your mind if I ask you to try to recall the earliest musical memory you can recall Um, I had a bunch of cassette tapes growing up, like when I was young. Um, and I know Puff the Magic Dragon was one of them. Uh, so that's probably one of the earliest things that I remember. Also, there's a song that I cannot tell you what the name of it is or who sings it, but my mom told me I liked this song when I was a small child and it goes, 
I want money, lots and lots of money. I want the pie in the sky. And like, and I Jared, pull that up. Let's listen to a little bit of that. I found it. It's Callaway. I want to be rich. <laughs> let's let's hear it. Mm-hmm. This is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I remember this. <laughs> oh, I totally remember this. <laughs> How old would you have been when your mom said you liked this? I mean, probably like four or younger. Want money. Lots and lots of money. I want the pie in the sky. I want money. Lots and lots of money. <laughs> Very well, very well done. Uh, so you you loved a song about liking money, and so you went into the arts. <laughs> yep, yep, master planner, definitely. <laughs> oh man, what was the first band uh, or musician that really got your attention when you were younger? Wow. Um, I mean, I think like most young girls growing up in the early '90s, like the Hanson Brothers, like Mop was definitely up there. And I remember specifically like asking for the Mbop CD and opening up, like it was probably Christmas or Hanukkah, and like opening up what was clearly a CD and seeing blonde hair and being like really excited. And then I continue to open it and it's a Jewel record, which like (laughs) I didn't know Jewel. (laughs) And I was just like, what? what was it? You belong to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I liked the Hanson Brothers, but then ended up listening to Jewel probably first. Uh, Were you okay with Jewel once you heard, heard her? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember being in elementary school and like singing her first album. Celine Dion was also, for some reason, one of the first albums I had. Um, you don't have to defend that. Yeah, I just think it's funny <laughs> that like I was like you know like you know like probably seven eight years old singing like Celine Dion ballads. Starting and- right. <laughs> yeah, um, and then like Selena growing up in Miami was like a there really you go. big thing. There you go. You you started off on the right foot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we have established your childhood in music. Let's go to your first song. Okay, sure. We're going to play them in the order you sent them? Uh, yeah, I would like to play them in the order. I think I'd probably want to talk about them before hearing them. Okay, well, uh, tell us tell us about this one. How do you, uh, how do you say it? Uh, Un Otra Noche de Miami. All right, by Bad Bunny? By Bad Bunny, yes. Okay, what's the story? Uh, so... Uh, It was 2020, and I was finishing up my grad degree in acting at CalArts. It was a pretty devastating, lonely time. Um, We literally were in New York City the first week of March doing our showcase for, like, agents and reps, um, and our first, like, case, documented case of COVID came out in New York. So there was, like, nobody in attendance for the showcase, which is a pretty anticlimactic way to end your grad degree. Um, And I flew home to LA and like basically the day that I got there they shut the in-person classes so I went from spending 
every single day for the previous two and a half years, like around a lot of people in very close contact. It's acting school. So you're doing a lot of touching and (laughs) breathing in each other's faces um, to being in complete isolation uh, and not knowing when I would be able to do the thing I love most again. So it was a pretty, it was a hard time. And before graduating, I still had a few classes that I needed to finish up. And one of them was a movement class that switched to Zoom. Uh, And for the end of the year assignment, we had to do these like recorded movement videos. So I um, put on a like black turtleneck spandex jumpsuit and an orange wig and like a full face of makeup and I had this one little room in my apartment that was completely empty that I had hung LED light strips in so they could go to like any color and I had them both like red and then blue and I took a series of um, still photographs of me like jumping around the space and then chopped together a stop motion video of this <laughs> scenario um and i was like playing a rough cut of it for the class and one of the students was like you just look so liberated you look so liberated in these photos <laughs> and i was like oh no i was like sweating my ass off just like like really unhappy just trying to get this assignment done and um the best part about it was my dog was in the apartment with me, Plato, and he kept running into the room because he was just like, what the f*** are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so there's just like every few photos, just like him coming in to like sniff my face and like make sure like I wasn't completely breaking down. <laughs> um, and so for the like final cut of this, I needed some kind of soundtrack for it. And so I chose this song. Probably because I missed home and I just missed being around like my people and the song itself, it's a dance groove for sure, but there's like um, a slowness and like a depth to it that also really felt like it, it reflected a lot of the feelings that I was going through on the inside. Okay, well, let's uh, listen to it through that lens. By the way, my dog is laying next to me because <laughs> uh, I'm b- blissfully working at home today. Um, okay, this is Juliana Morgan Alvarez's first song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. So is there a, an online version of that video that our listeners can see <laughs> on, like, YouTube or Vimeo or something? Um, not at the moment, though. I think probably <laughs> after this show... I will add it to my website. <laughs> okay, we'll add it to your website, and if you know, confirm that with us before we release this, and we'll direct people to it. Okay. Um. So, did you have to? Did you ever get back in the in the in person schooling before you finished, or you know, just complete the? You know, when did you get back with people, or have you gotten back with people? Um. No. So we we you know I graduated May 2020. That was completely online. We had like an online graduation. Um, pretty sad. I've never like walked a graduation stage, and so I was like pretty excited to do it that time. Um. So still waiting. Maybe the PhD will be the time. <laughs> um. But uh, kind of what happened after that was um. 
I had one friend of mine who's a director who was in LA and her and I kind of formed a little bubble so we would get tested every couple weeks and we could work in person and like film in person and that was definitely like a saving grace um but it wasn't until April of 2022 so this past April that I was back on set shooting a movie and this project that I'm working on now with Ghostbird is the first live performance that I've done since yeah since 2020. Do you do more uh, film or more stage productions? Um, well I was in LA for 10 years before grad school um, and that was predominantly film um, and I was also doing improv comedy so you know that that is live performance, but it's like a different kind of beast than theater or, you know, traditional theater. Um, and then since grad school, that was all like theater based. So, I mean, I've done like a healthy mix of both. I've also been acting since I was like nine years old and for some, like from nine to 18, that was mostly theater. Um, you know, your website didn't have a lot of information on you, but Google f uh, led me to a resume of yours. Okay. A one-sheet resume. And um, was it Upright Citizens Brigade? Is that who you did the improv with? Am yeah. Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just talk a little bit about improving. That's How's that? I'm, put, I'm making you improv about improv. <laughs> uh, so, I mean... I was in L.A. going, um, you know, audition, 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 audition. It's a it's a pretty grueling process being out there. Uh, and I really missed being on stage. Uh, there's nothing quite like live performance. Um, and I had heard that improv was like one of the fastest ways to just like get up on stage because there's showrunners there's like people who are kind of gatekeepers but there's also just a lot of stages available for improv in the city of LA um, and improv scared the hell out of me the idea of getting up there with no script no costumes no props and just having to like go and people have the expectation that you're gonna like do something funny is pretty terrifying so I thought well I'll do that then um <laughs> And I started taking classes, and I got together with uh, these two other women, uh, Nicole Vieja and Alan Pintal, and the three of us formed a group called Knife Kids. And we just started submitting for shows, and we were performing two to three times a week, and we got to the point where we were getting accepted to like festivals like the Del Close Marathon in uh, New York City, and it got to a point where we didn't have to submit as much. Like, we were getting um, offers to do shows. And so it was just, like, a great way to be up on stage in front of people, connecting, and doing it with these two women who are just extremely hilarious. And we had a great chemistry together. As somebody who had done acting prior to doing improv, once you get the hang of that, does it inform how you act now? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of actors, um, especially when they're starting out, they feel like they need to plan the whole scene. 
they need to like beat it out and and think like okay at this point is when I should be crying and at this point is when I should like look away and like really over map a scene um, and what I learned through improv was that the less I thought about it and the more I allowed myself to just react in the moment the the funnier the scene was and the more invested the audience was and so I took that from improv and definitely apply it to everything else I do where like I do a ton of homework before I get on stage or before I get on set and then once I get to the place where I'm going to be performing I kind of let go of all of that and don't try to remember or think about the way anything needs to go and just feel what's going on in the moment and it's yeah it's helpful (laughs) you mentioned that you were a theater kid way back so was Mm -hmm. going into the arts going into performance art always your you know horizon yeah it was um i started watching i love lucy like quietly at night on tv land when i was in elementary school when everyone else was asleep i would like sneak into the playroom to watch i love lucy and Gilligan's Island and I just I loved these shows and I would like cover my mouth with my hand so I wouldn't like wake up up anyone that was like sleeping that wouldn't find out I was laughing and (laughs) up when I wasn't supposed to be Um, and it kind of that plus I started doing ballet when I was four years old and was dancing with the Miami Ballet and their annual Nutcracker performance starting at age five. And so I was like on stage pretty, pretty young. And I just I couldn't I didn't have the words for it, obviously, when I was five years old. <laughs> um, but there's a thing that happens when you're doing live performance where if you allow yourself to be vulnerable, to be seen, it creates this kind of feedback loop with the audience that they also let their guard down and you are just having this like pure empathetic like cycle going on between you and the audience and it's just one of the most human beautiful things and like I said I didn't have the words for this when I was tiny but it was something that just felt right and kind of since then I've just been following that voice. Were your parents cool with you pursuing art? <laughs> I, have an, I, have an art I have an art daughter. I have a 17-year-old uh, theater kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some kids' parents who are like, you know, that's good. Do that in middle school. But, no, let's get serious now. Um, well, so, like, on my dad's side, uh, he and his family immigrated from Cuba when he was 13. And so, like, being the child of an immigrant the idea of going into the arts is like not super cool they're like we went through so much for you to become a doctor and like you've got good test scores so you're going to become a doctor um (laughs) and on my mom's side like she was kind of like well you have to go to college like you have to go get a degree um but I think she understood that my heart was in acting so she tried to be supportive of both um but i don't know that either one of them knew how serious i was about it until 
like I was in my mid 20s and still just like auditioning and hustling without like quote unquote making my big break and I was like not going to give up on it that they were just like oh so this is like your life choice like <laughs> like you really mean it you snuck it right past him yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, okay well let's get on to your second song this mm-hmm. is uh, how do you say Lucy da- Dacus 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 I believe Dacus yeah okay, we'll go with that mm-hmm. uh, so do what do you want to do you want to tell a story or you want to listen to it um I'll I'll tell a story first. Okay. Um, So this song, um, where do I start with this? Um, (laughs) So this song was originally on a playlist that I made for the character is Mene from Antigone. Uh, I make playlists for all of my characters because I think music informs a lot about who a person is. Uh, as I'm sure you know. (laughs) And this song just like really spoke to, she's the daughter of Oedipus, um, so a daughter of incest and tragedy um, and trying to find a way to exist in the world. And this song like just, it it resonated a lot for the way that I thought um, she operated. And then in... December of 2020, I decided to make this road trip, uh, Plato and I, uh, to drive from L.A. to Maine to spend the holidays with my sister, who's going to be there. And it turned out that one of my childhood friends was also in Maine doing a woodworking program. So she was going to spend the holidays uh, with me and my sister. And I got there. And her and I fell in love uh, pretty immediately and um, and decided that we didn't want to be apart anymore and um, drove from Maine to Miami, Miami to L.A. And while we were in L.A. packing up all my stuff, my friend who I had been collaborating with during the pandemic, she wanted to shoot a short film with me before I left. Um, And so I was driving over to her place listening to this playlist that I had made for the road trip and this Lucy Dacus song came back on. And it's a song about trying to like find a home for you and your loved ones in a world that's like not always the nicest. Um, And the song just like really spoke to me at that moment in time. And so I was listening to it. And I get to my friend's house and we're shooting this short film and I'm sitting in a bathtub smoking a cigarette and this song just came to me and I started singing it. So there's like video of me singing this song in like soggy socks in a bathtub smoking a cigarette. (laughs) And yeah, it's just a very specific moment in time. That's all we ask. That's great. Okay, this is Yours and Mine by Lucy Dacus. Uh, released in 2018 on the album Historian, it's Juliana Morgan Alvarez's second song here on Three Song Stories. It's really nice. <laughs> I've never heard of them. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. What's that make you feel listening to it, uh, you know, kind of thinking through that story with us here today? Um, it makes me... Uh, you know, there's a there's a certain sadness to leaving L.A. Um, 
I knew that I didn't want to live my entire life there. Like I knew it wasn't home. Uh, but I also spent my entire adult life there. Uh, and having to leave kind of came abruptly. Um, it wasn't a hundred percent my choice. Uh, and so it was a, it was a tough transition, but at the same time, I, was at the beginning of one of the deepest relationships that I've ever experienced. And there was a lot of like hope and a lot of optimism. And so it's a, it's a mixed feeling it kind of, I think what that song in terms of like a visual representation looks like to me is like, you know, pushing your chin up when maybe you want to go hide in a ball and just like, you know, remembering to keep your face towards the sun and keep on, keep on going forward. And I like that kind of like rebelliousness that Lucy Dacus has when she's singing, like, you know, we got a long way to go till we get home, but, but we're on the path to getting there. What was the uh, short film you were in when that was happening? Ooh, um, <laughs> so my friend Genevieve uh, Fowler, she's an incredible uh, director, and she was working on a personal project um, about her grandmother who um, was on, in the early on stages of dementia. Um, and part of what was happening to her because of the dementia and like losing track of where she was in time and space was that she was also like telling stories about her life growing up that she had never really spoken about before. And so Genevieve learned during this time that uh, her grandmother was briefly institutionalized and that her mother before her had spent like 30 years in an institution and so Genevieve was kind of like trying to process what it means to come from this like line of women who both had mental health issues, but also were kind of being institutionalized at a time where like if you were a woman or anyone different who was acting outside of the norms of society, it was like, OK, well, we're going to lock you up because we don't know how to deal with you. <laughs> and so she was just trying to process all of this while also like dealing with the fact that she was losing her grandmother and she didn't know how to do that. And so being an artist, she turned to art making, to filmmaking. And so she asked me if I would kind of be like the stand in for like herself and also for like the women in her life who were going through this uncertainty of existence. Um, this is a really this is such a broad scope of like what the film is about um but it's, it's a great description you do I, i'm right there with you so. <laughs> uh big big themes um <laughs> and so we were going through lots of like old photographs we were playing with projection and like layering images of her grandmother from like old slides from the 50s with like me being present in her apartment, like layered with these images. And then um, these moments in the bathtub contemplating 
I mean, truthfully, what the it's a play as well as a short film. What it ended up being about was: is there a certain point where the decision to commit suicide is maybe an act of sanity? Um, and it doesn't claim to like answer this question because I don't think there is an answer to that question. But just when you're living in an insane world, is it sane to maybe remove yourself from it? It's kind of like uh, you know. Joseph Heller's Catch-22. Is there a certain point where, like, acting insanely makes sense in an insane world? So it's a light, light... Yeah. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, I do years of comedy, so you got to balance things out. Yeah, you got to balance it out. So uh, in your productions over the years, have you done any musical theater? I think the answer is yes, but I don't know. Um, Actually, not really. Not like proper musical theater, then. Uh, I mean, I was in a production of Bye Bye Birdie when I was in eighth grade, um, but I played the one character, like a secretary who does not sing at all. She just tap dances. Um, and and then, yeah, I think that's it. Musical theater has never really been my uh, jam. I <laughs> I had no. To I, I I understand. Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Do you go to see shows a lot that are that you're not in or by being in so many that you don't go to do that? Um I try to see as much theater as I can. Um one of the first shows that I saw like, you know, in this new pandemic world was a musical theater original piece in Nashville. Um and that was so special. Uh, it's a really interesting show. Um, but in L.A., there's, I don't know, I guess it's like a mix of things because there's the Red Cat Theater in L.A., which is affiliated with um, CalArts, where I went to school. So I saw quite a few productions there. But it's more experimental. So, like, I saw a production of Chekhov's Three Sisters that um, was an adaptation that they had a live performance going on that was also being filmed. And so the audience was split into two groups and one group was seeing the stage production and one was seeing a movie that was being shot in the moment. Wow. Um, Yeah, incredible production. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the theater company who put it on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I try I try to. I think it's important as a theater maker to try and see things as well. Um, do you have a, uh, a favorite movie, movie musical? Or, movie uh, you know, it doesn't musical. have to be like straight musical, just something with a musical foundation somehow. I'm sure I do. I mean, the thing that's coming into my head right now is like the the movie of Chicago with John C. Riley and sure. Catherine Zeta Jones and Naomi Watts. I loved that movie growing up for sure. <laughs> okay, well then we're gonna call that your favorite. For okay. Now. Um, how about concerts? Are you a concert goer? Have you been to many concerts? I have been to a lot of concerts. Do you have a peak concert experience? 
Um, I saw Modest Mouse at Pappy and Harriet's out um, in Joshua Tree, and it's a really small music venue um, in Pioneer Town, um, which is a weird place that was like set up to be a movie set for westerns that actually never got used. But so it's like a faux western town, and then there's a barbecue joint called Pappy and Harriet's that gets a lot of musicians like big name musicians out there and so Modest Mouse was playing a concert there's probably like 120 150 people so like small for them and it was a new moon that night so the stars were like brilliant like you could see the Milky Way and so I was like standing under the Milky Way listening to this band that I had been listening to my entire life, um, and that was that was special. I don't want to steal your Modest Mouse small venue thunder at all, <gasps> but I actually saw Modest Mouse in Tampa at a small club. It maybe have been 250 people. Wow. But the best part was is when we walked in, we walked up to the bar, which was only 25 feet from the stage, uh-huh. and sat down at the bar and ordered drinks, and suddenly we're like, wait, we're, we're sitting at the bar. We don't have to get up and leave. <laughs> And so we got to watch an entire Modest Mouse show from like 30 feet away, sitting at oh, the bar. Whoa. It that, was pretty good. That is pretty peak Modest Mouse experience. Yes. I don't know. I think under the stars in a pioneer village sounds better. <laughs> um, um, dream act to see live. Oh, man. Like, if I could just, like, make the experience the way that I want it to. Yeah, exactly. Like, what would be your, your just ultimate concert experience? We could even broaden it out to acts that still aren't around to, to yeah. make it really interesting. I mean, for the longest time, my, like, hands-down answer would be Elliot Smith. Um, like, small venue, like maybe a coffee shop watching Elliot Smith play acoustic guitar would have been probably, like... 21-year-old Juliana's answer. Um, I mean, this is kind of cheating because I've actually seen them play, but I saw St. Vincent and David Byrne play the Greek, and it was one of the best live shows. I've Like, not just music, but just live shows that I've ever seen. And... Seeing them again with maybe just like a smaller venue or just like closer to the stage would probably be pretty high up there. Just those are two miraculous live performers who really know how to put on a show and be so present in the moment. Who is the f- who is the most famous musician you've met? That I've met? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be somebody super famous, but have you met any, you know, in your travels in L.A., et cetera, have you come across anybody that, you know, is famous? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's famous. I worked at Book Soup, which is the infamous bookshop on the Sunset Strip that, I mean, I literally almost, like, collided with Angelina Jolie while, like, trying to take my lunch break. Um I helped Benicio Del Toro's daughter pick out a children's book. They're not musicians, though. They're not. They're not musicians. (laughs) I'm, like, trying to remember who. 
To be fair, Mike, you did just say famous people. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I thought I said musician somewhere in that line of questioning. <laughs> you did. You did. But then you said famous people. And I was like, well, I have a lot of those that I can like. What? Uh, well, I think. Elton I think, John. Oh, yeah. I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Elton John? Yeah. Yeah. Did Jared know that? Uh, no, that wasn't said- me. That Who was just said Elton John. That was my girlfriend. That's Brit. She's, oh, there's somebody else here. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, Jared, how did you know she saw Elton John? <laughs> uh, no, that's that's Brit remembering for me. Um yeah, Elton John um came into the store. He was we had like a picture of him up. He was the patron saint of Book Soup. And he came in one day with like three of his bodyguards. And, like, just picked out, I mean, stacks of books to, like, give to his family and friends during the holidays. And just one of the most gentle, like, low-key human beings I think I had the pleasure of coming in contact with. I mean, his outfit was insane. He was wearing, like, a pink suit and, like, really bright glasses. But... His demeanor was just like so gentle and like loving. <laughs> well, I'm more impressed by that than Angelina Jolie and uh, Venetia Del Toro. I could go either way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like I. I don't think I was starstruck by any of those, but it was just like so commonplace at that store that I was working at. I think because most of the people who worked there, we like couldn't really give a f- who was coming in. <laughs> right. And so we got a lot of big name people because we treated them exactly the same as like anyone else. I actually, I was in LA. It's been probably seven or eight years ago now. My sister lives there. And I went into that bookstore mm. and I bought my daughter a graphic novel version of Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric mm. Sheep? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's my experience with that bookstore. Yeah. It's a it's a rad place. I'm I'm happy to have spent a couple of years of my life there. Um, okay, it's time for your third song. Okay. Um, so this song comes from one of my favorite movies, The Royal Tenenbaums, that I saw for the first time when I was in high school. Probably at one of those points in my life where I was questioning whether or not I wanted to stick with acting because. A lot of pressure comes on in high school to like make choices about who you're going to be as a human being. And I just like wasn't sure that acting was going to be it. And then I saw this movie and the craftsmanship of it and the dedication of the performers in it, like Angelica Houston, just blows it out of the water in this film and in the movie spoke to me as a teenager as somebody whose parents were going through a rocky time and like feeling like I wasn't being seen to like watching this movie that made me realize there are artists there are craftsmen there are actors who are making work that is about like finding humor and the absurdity of life. Um, and that was a huge moment for me to be like, okay, if this, if this kind of work exists out there for actors, then I can, I can dedicate my life to that. Um, and so the song is uh, 
Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard by Paul Simon. And that song also just sort of became a an anthem for me personally whenever I was like hitting rocky parts of my life of like I don't know where I'm going (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I will and I'll listen to it before um, I perform a lot of the time is it the song or is it the song with the scene that it's in in the movie you know what I mean like how much of it's the song and how much is that sort of montage that it plays uh, it's definitely both. It's like the song itself is incredible, but it's uh, particularly that scene with um, Gene Hackman on the back of the garbage truck with his grandsons and they're uh-huh. like playing hooky. And that to me is just like a representation of what I want my life to be. It's like playing hooky, eating a cheeseburger on the back of a garbage truck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's listen to it through the lens of that. This is uh, Paul Simon's Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard off his 1972 self-titled album. It's Juliana Morgan Alvarez's final song on Three Song Stories. See me and Julio down by the schoolyard. How old were you when you were seeing that, thinking that? Uh, 15. Okay, well, then this is perfect. One of the questions we often wrap the show up with is, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are here today? So, what would your 15-year-old self think of who you are today and how well you've done in pursuing riding on the back of a, you know, garbage truck, etc.? Um, I think that 15-year-old Juliana would be super impressed. <laughs> I think I think I'm at a different place than I thought I would have been at. Um, but I think 15-year-old me would be really happy that I stuck to my desire to to pursue acting as like not just a career but like as an art and a way of like living. Um random question. I know LA's a big place obviously, but you don't happen to know somebody named Meg Favreau, do you? The name sounds familiar. She lives out in L.A. She was on this show because I met her through the Fort Myers Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and she lives her life on her own terms. It's very mm-hmm. clear. Mm-hmm. And so one of the questions I asked her is, is you know, um, does she feel like she's a grown up? She, <laughs> said, she said, you know, actually, I think being a grown up means you get to live your life exactly how you want to live it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, cheers to that. Mm -hmm. And I felt like you would probably resonate with that, too. (laughs) I think, yeah, 100% I would. (laughs) Um, Is Royal Tenenbaums your favorite Wes Anderson movie? Um, Nostalgically, yes. Uh, I think... Life Aquatic, though, as I get older... That one is maybe, maybe my favorite. I will always default to Rushmore. I just can't help it. Uh, It came along at a really cool time in my life. So it was just like this pivotal, kind of the same thing. I was like, Mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, we can, you can do this. You Mm -hmm. can be this kind of artsy and weird. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay. You ready for a speed round? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you would be willing to share with us? 
Um, nothing like sexy or cool or interesting. <laughs> Just like Jay, maybe. <laughs> okay, well that'll work. Yeah. Um, are you a karaokeer? No, I tried to sing. <laughs> karaoke one time and I chose a song that I know all the words to which is Criminal by Fiona Apple and I got to did you all get all like Fiona Apple-y with it <laughs> I only <laughs> I literally only got to I've been a bad bad girl and then I left the stage because I was <laughs> like I can't do this <laughs> uh, is that your only karaoke yeah <laughs> okay um, if you were a championship wrestler, what song would you enter the arena to? Um, Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what would your wrestler name be then? Um, Tiny Dragon. <laughs> Tiny Dragon. If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind that was sort of like, you know, it would capture your essence as a person somehow, what would it be? Uh, a shot of gin and a Miller Lite. <laughs> a shot of gin and a Miller Lite. That's a very specific answer. Um, if you had to guess, what song would you say you've listened to the most times in your life? <clears throat> Damn, that's a hard question. Probably like Extraordinary Machine by Fiona Apple. What, what about album? Which album have you spent the most time with? I so I'm really bad with album names, but I think it's um, "Gravity Rides Everything" by Modest Mouse. Okay, it's okay if it's not quite perfect. It's something like that. Um, what would you no, say? No, you got it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, th thank you, Jared. I was kind of thinking you were about to appear. Um, <laughs> what would you say uh, is the most overplayed song of all time? I hate, this is just personal, the song Happy by Pharrell makes me really unhappy, <laughs> and I think it gets played too often. <laughs> okay, well, no, that's fair. Um, are there any songs that you'll avoid listening to, primarily because you don't want to be reminded of the place they take you to? Yeah, um, probably can't think of them because I've avoided them from my brain. <laughs> okay. You know they exist. Yeah. There's that's definitely <laughs> songs that I just like will shut off. <laughs> that's close enough. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every human simultaneously, which song would you choose? <laughs> this is not, I the do happy not. The song. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, the, the song that came to my head that I do, that I, I wouldn't do this, but the song that my like brain was like, yeah, is the, the Barney theme song. <laughs> <laughs> that would certainly be a surreal than otherwise moment. <laughs> okay. Well, you're stuck with Barney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, is Modest Mouse your favorite band? Um, they were for a long time. I, I would not say so anymore. Um, do you have a current favorite band? I've been listening to a lot of girl in red. Um, but I, but it, you ever like listen to an artist and you're like, oh, this is exactly the artist that I need right now. Oh yeah. But it probably like it probably won't be at some point yeah it has an expiration date to it but like right now it's just like yes 
that. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I've never thought about it that way before, but I've had some real favorites for like a year or two, and then suddenly it's like, I haven't listened to them in 10 years. What happened? Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. my favorite. What happened? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, it is time for you to recommend your three people okay. uh, who you will put this in their hands and hopefully get them to check it out, and then we can pursue as guests. Great. Um, Philip Hubeck. Uh, he's a longtime listener of the show, and so I know. I know that name. I, I was expecting you to name out of towners, and then I'm like, I think I know that name. Yeah, I know that name. You do. Yeah, he's um, a member of Ghostbird, and yeah. well, has, yeah, you, yeah, we'll get him on ASAP. <laughs> he would love to do this show. Um, my best friend Allison Green in Brooklyn. She is a killer person in terms of taste of all kinds and she'd be rocking at this show um and then genevieve fowler my director friend that i mentioned before she out in la she is out in la but she like she she moves around a lot doing different directing stuff but she's based in life we have a a good solid studio connection out in la so we'll try to get that and then i did have one in the in New York, but that one fell through. So we'll have to come up with something, but yeah, just share this with them and then, you know, connect us with them somehow. Um, okay. Well, Giuliani, you've, you've done it. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave us with? I just want to say thank you. This has been really fun and introspective and I appreciate so much, uh, the time. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU public radio on the campus of Florida Gulf coast university in Fort Myers, Florida. Mike Canary is co-creator and host. Richard Chin Kui is co-creator, producer, and host. Tara Callaghan is our online content producer and host. Audio production is by yours truly, Jared the Intern Gonzalez, and Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave Day Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we are going back a full year to my episode number 172 with Zelda's Lullaby from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time crazy how it's already been a year for me working on this show and at wgcu has really changed my life in more ways than one and all for the better the people i have met and the relationships i have formed here is truly something special just like the zelda series for me the zelda games have had a major impact on my life by opening the door to video games and make me feel and experience things i can't find anywhere else and so has this station three song stories and the people i work with And it helps that Richard and I have this immense love for the Zelda series so we can geek out about it at the office. Keep listening. There are no big feet. Next time on Three Song Stories. I was like, where can a 43-year-old woman skank in Southwest Florida? Because, like, I miss it.